Chapter Two of Five Children and It. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jenny Lundack. Five Children and It by E. Nesbitt. Chapter Two Golden Guineas and thea woke in the morning from a very real sort of dream in which she was walking in the zoological gardens on a pouring wet day without any umbrella the animals seemed desperately unhappy because of the rain and were all growling gloomily when she awoke both the growling and the rain went on just the same the growling was the heavy regular breathing of her sister jane who had a slight cold and was still asleep the rain fell in slow drops onto anthea's face from the wet corner of a bath towel which her brother robert was gently squeezing the water out of to wake her up as he now explained oh drop it she said rather crossly so he did for he was not a brutal brother though very ingenious in apple pie beds booby traps original methods of awakening sleeping relatives and the other little accomplishments which make home happy i had such a funny dream anthea began so did i said jane waking suddenly and without warning i dreamed we found a sand fairy in the gravel pits and it said it was a samiad and we might have a new wish every day and but that's what i dreamed said robert i was just going to tell you and we had the first wish directly it said so and i dreamed you girls were donkeys enough to ask for us to all be beautiful as the day and we jolly well were and it was perfectly beastly but can different people all dream the same thing said anthea sitting up in bed because i dreamed all that as well as about the zoo in the rain and baby didn't know us in my dream and the servants shut us out of the house because the radiantness of our beauty was such a complete disguise and the voice of the eldest brother sounded from across the landing come on robert it said you'll be late for breakfast again unless you mean to shirk your bath like you did on tuesday i say come here a sec robert replied i didn't shirk it i had it after brecker in father's dressing-room because ours was emptied away cyril appeared in the doorway partially clothed look here said anthea we've all had such an odd dream we've all dreamed we found a sand fairy her voice died away before cyril's contemptuous glance dream he said you little sillies it's true i tell you it all happened that's why i'm so keen on being down early we'll go up there directly after brecker and have another wish only we'll make up our minds solid before we go what it is we do want and no one must ask for anything unless the others agree first no more peerless beauties for this child thank you not if i know it the other three dressed with their mouths open if all that dream about the sand fairy was real this real dressing seemed very like a dream the girls thought 
Jane felt that Cyril was right, but Anthea was not sure, till after they had seen Martha and heard her full and plain reminders about their naughty conduct the day before. Then Anthea was sure, because, she said, the servants never dream anything but the things in the dream book, like snakes and oysters and going to a wedding. That means a funeral. And snakes are a false female friend. And oysters are babies. Talking of babies, said Cyril, where's the lamb? Martha's going to take him to Rochester to see her cousins. Mother said she might. She's dressing him now, said Jane, in his very best coat and hat. Bread and butter, please. She seems to like taking him, too, said Robert, in a tone of wonder. Servants do like taking babies to see their relations, Cyril said. I've noticed it before, especially in their best things. I expect they pretend they're their own babies, and that they're not servants at all, but married to noble dukes of high degree, and they say the babies are the little dukes and duchesses, Jane suggested dreamily, taking more marmalade. I expect that's what Martha'll say to her cousin. She'll enjoy herself most frightfully. She won't enjoy herself most frightfully carrying our infant duke to Rochester, said Robert. Not if she's anything like me, she won't. Fancy walking to Rochester with the lamb on your back. Oh, crikey, said Cyril, in full agreement. She's going by carrier, said Jane. Let's see them off. Then we shall have done a polite and kindly act, and we shall be quite sure we've got rid of them for the day. So they did. Martha wore her Sunday dress of two shades of purple, so tight in the chest that it made her stoop, and her blue hat with the pink cornflowers and white ribbon. She had a yellow lace collar with a green bow, and the lamb had indeed his very best cream-colored silk coat and hat. It was a smart party that the carrier's cart picked up at the crossroads. When its white tilt and red wheels had slowly vanished in a swirl of chalk dust. And now for the Samiad, said Cyril, and off they went. As they went, they decided on the wish they would ask for. Although they were all in a great hurry, they did not try to climb down the sides of the gravel pit, but went round by the safe lower road, as if they had been carts. They had made a ring of stones round the place where the sand fairy had disappeared, so they easily found the spot. The sun was burning and bright, and the sky was deep blue without a cloud. The sand was very hot to touch. Oh, I suppose it was only a dream after all, Robert said, as the boys uncovered their spades from the sand heap where they had buried them and began to dig. Suppose you were a sensible chap, said Cyril. "'One's quite as likely as the other. "'Suppose you kept a civil tongue in your head,' Robert snapped. "'Suppose we girls take a turn,' said Jane, laughing. "'You boys seem to be getting very warm.' "'Suppose you don't come shoving your silly oar in,' said Robert, "'who is now warm indeed.' "'We won't,' Anthea said quickly. "'Robert, dear, don't be grumpy. "'We won't say a word.' You shall be the one to speak to the fairy, and tell him what we've decided to wish for. You'll say it so much better than we shall. Suppose you drop being a little humbug, said Robert, but not crossly. Look out. Dig with your hands now. 
so they did and presently uncovered the spider-shaped brown hairy body long arms and legs bat's ears and snail's eyes of the sand fairy himself everyone drew a deep breath of satisfaction for now of course it couldn't have been a dream the samiad sat up and shook the sand out of its fur how's your left whisker this morning said anthea politely nothing to boast of said it it had a rather restless night but thank you for asking i say said robert do you feel up to giving wishes to-day because we very much want an extra besides the regular one the extra's a very little one he added reassuringly humph said the sand fairy if you read this story aloud please pronounce humph exactly as it's spelt for that is how he said it humph do you know until i heard you being disagreeable to each other just over my head and so loud too i really quite thought i had dreamed you all i do have very odd dreams sometimes do you jane hurried to say so as to get away from the subject of disagreeableness i wish she added politely you'd tell us about your dreams they must be awfully interesting is that the day's wish said the sand fairy yawning cyril muttered something about just like a girl and the rest stood silent if they said yes then good-bye to the other wishes they had decided to ask for if they said no it would be very rude and they had all been taught manners and had learned a little too which is not at all the same thing a sigh of relief broke from all lips when the sand fairy said if i do i shan't have strength to give you a second wish not even good tempers or common sense or manners or little things like that we don't want you to put yourself out at all about these things we can manage them quite well ourselves said cyril eagerly while the others looked guiltily at each other and wished the fairy would not keep all on about good tempers but give them one good rowing if it wanted to and then have done with it well said the samiad putting out his long snail's eyes so suddenly that one of them nearly went into the round boy's eyes of robert let's have the little wish first we don't want the servants to notice the gifts you give us are kind enough to give us said anthea in a whisper are kind enough to give us i mean said robert the fairy swelled himself out a bit let his breath go and said i've done that for you it was quite easy people don't notice things much anyway what's the next wish we want said robert slowly to be rich beyond the dreams of something or other avarice said jane so it is said the fairy unexpectedly but it won't do you much good that's one comfort it muttered to itself come i can't go beyond dreams you know how much do you want and will you have it in gold or notes gold please and millions of it this gravel pit full be enough said the fairy in an off-hand manner oh yes then get out before i begin or you'll be buried alive in it it made its skinny arms go long and waved them so frighteningly that the children ran as hard as they could towards the road by which carts used to come to the gravel pits 
only anthea had presence of mind enough to shout a timid good morning i hope your whisker will be better to-morrow as she ran on the road they turned and looked back and they had to shut their eyes and open them very slowly a little bit at a time because the sight was too dazzling for their eyes to be able to bear it it was something like trying to look up at the sun at high noon on midsummer's day for the whole of the sand-pit was full right up to the very top with new shining gold pieces and all the little sand martin's little front doors were covered out of sight where the road for the carts wound into the gravel pit the gold lay in heaps like stones lie by the roadside and a great bank of shining gold shelved down from where it lay flat and smooth between the tall sides of the gravel pit and all the gleaming heap was minted gold and on the sides and edges of these countless coins the midday sun shone and sparkled and glowed and gleamed till the quarry looked like the mouth of a smelting furnace or one of the fairy halls that you see sometimes in the sky at sunset the children stood with their mouths open and no one said a word at last robert stopped and picked up one of the loose coins from the edge of the heap by the cart road and looked at it he looked on both sides then he said in a low voice quite different to his own it's not sovereigns it's gold anyway said cyril and now they all began to talk at once they all picked up the golden treasure by handfuls and let it run through their fingers like water and the chink it made as it fell was wonderful music at first they quite forgot to think of spending the money it was so nice to play with jane sat down between two heaps of gold and robert began to bury her as you bury your father in sand when you are at the seaside and he has gone to sleep on the beach with his newspaper over his face but jane was not half buried before she cried out oh stop it's too heavy it hurts robert said bosh and went on let me out i tell you cried jane and was taken out very white and trembling a little you've no idea what it's like said she it's like stones on you or like chains look here cyril said if this is to do us any good it's no good our staying gasping at it like this let's fill our pockets and go buy things don't you forget it won't last after sunset i wish we'd asked the samiad why things don't turn to stone perhaps this will i'll tell you what there's a pony and cart in the village do you want to buy that asked jane no silly we'll hire it then we'll go to rochester and buy heaps and heaps of things look here let's each take as much as we can carry but it's not sovereigns they've got a man's head on one side and a thing like an ace of spades on the other fill your pockets with it i tell you and come along you can jaw as we go if you must jaw cyril sat down and began to fill his pockets 
you made fun of me for getting father to have nine pockets in my norfolks he said but now you see they did for when cyril had his nine pockets and his handkerchief and the space between himself and his shirt front with the gold coins he had to stand up but he staggered and he had to sit down again in a hurry throw out some of the cargo said robert you'll sink the ship old chap that comes of nine pockets and cyril had to then they set off to walk to the village it was more than a mile and the road was very dusty indeed and the sun seemed to get hotter and hotter and the gold in their pockets got heavier and heavier it was jane who said i don't see how we're to spend it all there must be thousands of pounds among us i'm going to leave some of mine behind this stump in the hedge and directly we get to the village we'll buy some biscuits i know it's long past dinner-time she took out a handful or two and hid it in the hollows of an old hornbeam how round and yellow they are she said don't you wish they were gingerbread nuts and we were going to eat them well they're not and we're not said cyril come on but they came on heavily and wearily before they reached the village more than one stump in the hedge concealed its little hoard of hidden treasure yet they reached the village with about twelve hundred guineas in their pockets but in spite of this inside wealth they looked quite ordinary outside and no one would have thought they could have more than half a crown each at the outside the haze of heat the blue of the wood smoke made sort of a dim misty cloud over the red roofs of the village the four sat down heavily on the first bench they came to it happened to be outside the blue boar inn it was decided that cyril should go into the blue boar and ask for ginger beer because as anthea said it's not wrong for men to go into public houses only for children and cyril is nearer to being a man than us because he is the eldest so he went and the others sat in the sun and waited oh hats how hot it is said robert dogs put their tongues out when they're hot i wonder if it would cool us at all to put out ours we might try jane said and they all put their tongues out as far as ever they could go so that it quite stretched their throats but it only seemed to make them thirstier than ever besides annoying everyone who went by so they took their tongues in again just as cyril came back with the ginger beer i had to pay for it out of my own two and seven pence though that i was going to buy rabbits with he said they wouldn't change the gold and when i pulled out a handful the man just laughed and said it was card counters and i got some sponge cakes too out of a glass jar on the bar counter and some biscuits with caraways in sponge cakes were both soft and dry and the biscuits were dry too and yet soft which biscuits ought not to be but the ginger beer made up for everything it's my turn now to try to buy something with money anthea said i'm next eldest where is the pony cart kept it was at the checkers and anthea went in the back way to the yard because they all knew that little girls ought not to go into the bars of public houses she came out as she herself said pleased but not proud 
He'll be ready in a brace of shakes, he says, she remarked, and he's to have one sovereign, or whatever it is, to drive us into Rochester and back, besides waiting there till we've got everything we want. I think I managed very well. You think yourself jolly clever, I dare say, said Cyril moodily. How did you do it? I wasn't jolly clever enough to go taking handfuls of money out of my pocket to make it seem cheap anyway, she retorted. I just found a young man doing something to a horse's leg with a sponge and a pail, and I held out one sovereign, and I said, Do you know what this is? He said, No, and he'd call his father. And the old man came, and he said it was a spade guinea, and he said, was it my own to do as i liked with and i said yes and i asked about the pony cart and i said he could have the guinea if he'd drive us to rochester and his name is s crispin and he said right oh it was a new sensation to be driven in a smart pony trap along pretty country roads it was very pleasant too which is not always the case with new sensations quite apart from the beautiful plans of spending the money, which each child made as they went along, silently, of course, and quite to itself, for they felt it would never have done to let the old innkeeper hear them talk in the affluent sort of way they were thinking. The old man put them down by the bridge at their request. "'If you were going to buy a carriage and horses, where would you go?' asked Cyril as if he were only asking for the sake of something to say. "'Billy Peasmarsh at the Saracen's Head,' said the old man promptly, "'though all forbid I should recommend any man where it's a question of horses, no more than I'd take anybody else's recommending if I was a buying one. But if your pa's thinking of a turnout of any sort, there ain't a straighter man in Rochester, nor a civiler spoken than Billy, though I says it.' thank you said cyril the saracen's head and now the children began to see one of the laws of nature turn upside down and stand on its head like an acrobat any grown-up persons would tell you that money is hard to get and easy to spend but the fairy money had been easy to get and spending it was not only hard it was almost impossible the tradespeople of rochester seemed to shrink to a tradesperson from the glittering fairy gold furrin money they called it for the most part to begin with anthea who had had the misfortune to sit on her hat earlier in the day wished to buy another she chose a very beautiful one trimmed with pink roses and the blue breasts of peacocks it was marked in the window paris model three guineas i'm glad she said because if it says guineas it means guineas and not sovereigns which we haven't got but when she took three of the spade guineas in her hand which was by this time rather dirty owing to her not having put on gloves before going to the gravel pit the black silk young lady in the shop looked very hard at her and went and whispered something to an older and uglier lady also in black silk and then they gave her back the money and said it was not current coin it's good money said anthea and it's my own i dare say said the lady but it's not the kind of money that's fashionable now 
and we don't care about taking it i believe they think we've stolen it said anthea rejoining the others in the street if we had gloves they wouldn't think we were so dishonest it's my hands being so dirty fills their minds with doubts so they chose a humble shop and the girls bought cotton gloves the kind at sixpence three farthings but when they offered a guinea the woman looked at it through her spectacles and said she had no change so the gloves had to be paid for out of cyril's two and sevenpence that he meant to buy rabbits with and so had the green imitation crocodile skin purse at ninepence halfpenny which had been bought at the same time they tried several more shops the kinds where you buy toys and scent and silk handkerchiefs and books and fancy boxes of stationery and photographs of objects of interest in the vicinity but nobody cared to change a guinea that day in rochester and as they went from shop to shop they got dirtier and dirtier and their hair got more and more untidy and jane slipped and fell down on a part of the road where a water-cart had just gone by also they got very hungry but they found no one would give them anything to eat for their guineas after trying two pastry cooks in vain they became so hungry perhaps from the smell of cake in the shops as cyril suggested that they formed a plan of campaign in whispers and carried it out in desperation they marched into a third pastry cook's beale was his name and before people behind the counter could interfere each child had seized three new penny buns clapped the three together between its dirty hands and taken a big bite out of the triple sandwich then they stood at bay with the twelve buns in their hands their mouths very full indeed the shocked pastry-cook bounded round the corner here said cyril speaking as distinctly as he could and holding out the guinea he got ready before entering the shop pay yourself out of that mr beale snatched the coin bit it and put it in his pocket off you go he said brief and stern like the man in the song but the change said anthea who had a saving mind change said the man i'll change you out you goes and you may think yourselves lucky i don't send for the police to find out where you got it in the castle gardens the millionaires finished the buns and though the curdy softness of these were delicious and acted like a charm in raising the spirits of the party yet even the stoutest heart quailed at the thought of venturing to sound mr billy peasmarsh at the saracen's head on the subject of a horse and carriage the boys would have given up the idea but jane was always a hopeful child and anthea generally an obstinate one and their earnestness prevailed the whole party by this time indescribably dirty therefore betook itself to the saracen's head the yard method of attack having been successful at the checkers was tried again here mr peasmarsh was in the yard and robert opened the business in these terms they tell me you have a lot of horses and carriages to sell it had been agreed that robert should be spokesperson because in books it is always the gentleman who buys horses and not ladies and cyril had had his go at the blue boar 
they tell you true young man said mr peasemarsh he was a long lean man with very blue eyes and a tight mouth and narrow lips we should like to buy some please said robert politely i dare say you would will you show us a few please to choose from who are you a kiddin of inquired mr billy peasemarsh was you sent here of a message i tell you said robert we want to buy some horses and carriages and a man told us you were straight and civil-spoken but i shouldn't wonder if he was mistaken Bon my sacred said mr peasemarsh shall i trot the whole stable out for your honor's worship to see or shall i send round to the bishop's to see if he's a nag or two to dispose of please do said robert if it's not too much trouble it would be very kind of you mr peasemarsh put his hands in his pockets and laughed and they did not like the way he did it then he shouted willem a stooping ostler appeared in the stable door here willem come and look at this here young duck wants to buy the whole stud lock stock and barrel and ain't got tuppence in his pocket to bless hisself with i'll go bail willem's eyes followed his master's pointing thumb with contemptuous interest do we for sure he said but robert spoke though both girls were now pulling at his jacket and begging him to come along he spoke and he was very angry he said i'm not a young duke and i never pretended to be and as for tuppence what do you call this and before the others could stop him he had pulled out two fat handfuls of shining guineas and held them out for mr peasemarsh to look at he did look he snatched one up in his finger and thumb he bit it and jane expected him to say the best horse in my stables is at your service but the others knew better still it was a blow even to the most desponding when he said shortly willem shut the yard doors and willem grinned and went to shut them good afternoon said robert hastily we shan't buy any of your horses now whatever you say and i hope it'll be a lesson to you he had seen a little side gate open and was moving towards it as he spoke but billy peasemarsh put himself in the way not so fast yo young offscourin he said willem fetch the police willem went the children stood huddled together like frightened sheep and mr peasemarsh spoke to them till the police arrived he said many things among other things he said a nice lot you are aren't you come and tempt an honest men with your guineas they are our guineas said cyril boldly oh of course we don't know all about that no more we don't oh no course not and dragging little gals into it ere i'll let the gals go if you'll all come along to the police quiet we won't be let go said jane heroically not without the boys it's our money just as much as theirs you wicked old man where'd you get it then said the man softening slightly which was not at all what the boys expected when jane began to call names jane cast a silent glance of agony at the others 
"'Lost your tongue, eh? Got it fast enough when it's for calling names with. Come, speak up. Where'd you get it?' "'Out of the gravel pit,' said truthful Jane. "'Next article,' said the man. "'I tell you, we did,' Jane said. "'There's a fairy there, all over brown fur, with ears like a bat's, and eyes like a snail's, and he gives you a wish a day, and they all come true. Touched in the head, eh? said the man in a low voice. All the more shame to you boys, dragging the poor afflicted child into your sinful burglaries. She's not mad. It's true, said Anthea. There's a fairy. If ever I see him again, I'll wish for something for you. At least I would, if vengeance wasn't wicked. So there, "'Lord love me,' said Billy Peasmarsh. "'If there ain't another one of And now Willem came back with a spiteful grin on his face, and at his back a policeman, with whom Mr. Peasmarsh spoke long in a hoarse, earnest whisper. "'I dare say you're right,' said the policeman at last. "'Anyway, I'll take em up on a charge of unlawful possession, pending inquiries.' and the magistrate will deal with the case. Send the afflicted ones to a home, as likely as not, and the boys to a reformatory. Now then, come along, youngsters. No use making a fuss. You bring the gals along, Mr. Peasmarsh, sir, and I'll shepherd the boys. Speechless with rage and horror, the four children were driven along the streets of Rochester. Tears of anger and shame blinded them, so that when Robert ran right into a passer-by, he did not recognize her till a well-known voice said, "'Well, if ever I did! Oh, Master Robert, whatever have you been a-doin' of now?' And another voice, quite as well-known, said, "'Panty! What on panty?' They had run into Martha and the baby. Martha behaved admirably. She refused to believe a word of the policeman's story, or of Mr. Peasmarsh's either, even when they made Robert turn out his pockets in an archway to show the guineas. "'I don't see nothing,' she said. "'You've gone out of your senses, you two. There ain't any gold there, only the poor child's hands all over crock and dirt, and like the very chimbley. Oh, that I should ever see the day!' And the children thought this very noble of Martha— even if rather wicked, till they remembered how the fairy promised that the servants should never notice any of the fairy gifts. So, of course, Martha couldn't see the gold, and so was only speaking the truth, and that was quite right, of course, but not extra noble. It was getting dusk when they reached the police station. The policeman told his tale to an inspector, who sat in a large bare room with a thing like a clumsy nursery fender at one end, to put prisoners in. Robert wondered whether it was a cell or a dock. "'Produce the coins, officer,' said the inspector. "'Turn out your pockets,' said the constable. Cyril desperately plunged his hands in his pockets, stood still a moment, and then began to laugh, an odd sort of laugh that hurt, and felt much more like crying his pockets were empty. So were the pockets of the others. For, of course, at sunset all the fairy gold had vanished away. "'Turn out your pockets and stop that noise,' said the inspector. Cyril turned out his pockets, 
every one of the nine which enriched his Norfolk suit, and every pocket was empty. Well, said the inspector, I don't know how they done it, artful little beggars. They walked in front of me the whole way, so as for me to keep an eye on them and not attract a crowd and obstruct the traffic. It's very remarkable, said the inspector, frowning. If you've quite done a browbeaten of innocent children, said Martha, I'll hire a private carriage and we'll drive home to their papa's mansion. You'll hear about this again, young man. I told you they hadn't any gold when you were pretending to see it in their poor helpless hands. It's early in the day for a constable on duty not to be able to trust his own eyes. As for the other one, the less said the better. He keeps the Saracen's head, and he knows best what his liquor's like. Take them away, for goodness sakes, said the inspector crossly. But as they left the police station, he said, Now then, to the policeman and Mr. Peasmarsh, and he said it twenty times as crossly as he had spoken to Martha. Martha was as good as her word. She took them home in a very grand carriage, because the carrier's cart was gone, and, though she had stood by them so nobly with the police, she was angry with them as soon as they were alone for traipsing into Rochester by themselves, that none of them dared to mention the old man with the pony-cart from the village who was waiting for them in Rochester. And so, after one day of boundless wealth, the children found themselves sent to bed in deep disgrace, and only enriched by two pairs of cotton gloves, dirty inside because of the state of the hands they had been put on to cover, an imitation crocodile skin purse, and twelve penny buns long since digested. The thing that troubled them most was the fear that the old gent's guinea might have disappeared at sunset with all the rest, so they went down to the village next day to apologize for not meeting him in Rochester and to see. They found him very friendly. The guinea had not disappeared, and he had bored a hole in it and hung it on his watch-chain. As for the guinea the baker took, the children felt they could not care whether it had vanished or not, which was not, perhaps, very honest, but on the other hand, was not wholly unnatural. But afterwards this preyed on Anthea's mind, and at last she secretly sent twelve stamps by post to Mr. Beale, Baker, Rochester. Inside she wrote, To pay for the buns. I hope the guinea did disappear, for that pastry-cook was really not at all a nice man, and besides, penny buns are seven for sixpence in all really respectable shops. End of chapter 2 Recording by Jenny Lundack, South Padre Island, Texas in July 2011.